Welcome to the show. I am your host, L.B. Muniz, and this is the Been Awake Podcast for Better Sense Making. Interview with Josiah. So you might notice, it's a programming note off the top here, you might notice if you've listened to my interviews before that I don't have the cool little intro that I normally do, which has like clips from inside of the interview. It's too much production work. I have too many things to work on right now, and I want these interviews to get out. I want to be able to talk more people, really push the boundaries of ideas as best I'm able. And so we're just going to kind of have a little chat like every other podcast does. And of course, these kinds of podcasts and this kind of intro is where I remind you that I think a good conversation is like good jazz. And a good conversation list is like a good jazz musician. You have to know the basics, but you also have to be ready to behave. You also have to be ready to improvise. One of the things that jazz musicians did, especially at the outset, was, was teach themselves how to play. Or perhaps better said, there is a, uh, you know, there are many jazz musicians who, and, and many musicians who produce and write music themselves who are self-taught. And what's very fun about the conversation that we're about to listen to together is how that can play out in the realm of ideas. This, this is an episode, this is an episode that's very philosophical. This is an episode where you want, you're going to want to pay attention. You're going to want to pay attention to the things that are being said. So Josiah goes by Sudoku Politburo on Twitter. Go give him a follow. That's really where he normally releases his ideas. It's been a lot of fun getting to know him and then to sit down and talk with him. I don't think I'm doing him a disservice to say he has a very interesting way of looking at the world and a very intuitive sense that things are supposed to fit together. One of the reasons why I started a podcast was to explore ideas. And part of that is because I love learning how other people think, especially when that comes from an unorthodox place. So the beginning of this conversation is a download of his perspective. You're then going to watch me try to put those pieces together acting as the midwife of ideas, as Socrates was fond of saying. And as always, we end up somewhere interesting. If you enjoy conversations like this, please make sure you're subscribed to the Substack with your email. Subscribe on iTunes, Spotify, wherever you get podcasts from. There's also going to be, because there is a video component to this, there's going to be a free video available on YouTube and Rumble. So you can, uh, you can go and check those out. Subscribe to me there while you're at it. And for you premium subscribers, you'll have the video right here on Substack. Finally, if you think this converse, if you think the times, the kinds of conversations I have have value, please consider donating to the Been Awake Project for better sense making. You can get fifty percent off your first year. Give it a shot. Throw me some bones. Without further ado, let's get into the conversation. Warning: The following broadcast is not approved by your teacher university, politician, or government. Side effects may include skepticism, better reasoning skills, liberty, peace, and an escape from the woke. All right, Josiah, I like to say a little bit out of laziness, 
but really because I'm interested in the philosophical question behind it. I, I always enjoy when we start these conversations, these interviews, with a question, and that question being, how like how do you identify yourself, or like or what schools of thought do you belong to, or or do or or the lack thereof, or you know however however that strikes you. I don't think I would say I belong to any particular school of thought, but I've I've come. I guess I progressed through libertarianism and classical liberalism and Austrian economics. So I think that was more of a way to identify myself politically and how to relate to my peer group. Uh, but I suppose right now my, my interests are consciousness and metaphysics and then kind of figuring out how individuals relate to their communities hmm. and to their societies broadly. How, so, so still within that. So, yeah, that that I, I'd say that works for it, right? Like schools of thought. It's not um, the question itself is not about like possession per se. Uh, like for example, I, I always I always like to start the show by saying that I'm some that I'm a practicing skeptic. It's gone through a few iterations, but that's the one that I think conveys the meaning. Um, which to me, skepticism is about not even to me. Skepticism is the process by which we put doubt before um, before assent. And assent is this is is the fill or another way of putting it is inquiry before dogma, but the doubt before assent, and that's why you know like you said you were into consciousness. That's one of the reasons why I'm looking. I've been looking forward to this conversation since we first started talking about it because this is going to be um, it's just going to be one of those where it's it's a uh, just sit back and enjoy the ride. This is the backseat of a stranger's mind. This is the this is the higher level stuff that kind of brings us to better what better what i call better sense making so at least at least as a, at, so how the individual relates to the group and consciousness so with the doubt before ascent so the, so the ascent aspect is just this natural capacity we all have in our minds effectively to like find and seek order and in general in general you know people are humans are beings that go along with go along with things Right. Like what has worked before is going to work again. And so it's very logical to just whatever somebody tells you is being accurate to just take that thing as being so. And if you just take that thing as being so and things work out, you're never in a position to really question it. I think. Well, not I think again, I, this is like those are like those word fillers. What skepticism is a school of thought in that it evolved, evolved it was an evolutionary function of thought. It wasn't just the impetus to question, right? It was this, it was the formalization of that in something that approaches, uh, something that's teachable. And that's again, why I talk about things in terms of school of thought. I think you, you mentioned in particular kind of passing through libertarianism and that's part of the reason why, why, why we got connected is myself going through many of those same things, many go, go, going through many of those same, um, ideas and and like just kind of working out and seeing seeing the shortcomings of it you got there a little bit before i did um what was maybe i don't know how long i want to spend on this but i am curious what was one of the first moments for you and i'll share and then i'll share mine because it was actually a long time ago um it was just something that took me a long time to uh to accept okay um, my first Shoot, I'd say March, not quite March, April of 2020 was my first uh, aha moment as far as libertarians because I was watching the commentary coming out of the, 
the biggest names in libertarianism, not not Cato or Reason, but the a lot of libertarian podcasters and their reticence to call out the cronyism in the medical science establishment just blew my mind every day when they would say, we got to listen to the scientists and listen to the doctors. And it just kept like how you cannot, how you can talk about regulatory capture for years and then turn around and pump up the authority of the most regulatory captured industry. Well, in history, I'd say, uh, really blew my mind. So right, right there, I was just thinking, these are the people who are most poised to speak on this, on these philosophical matters and this basis for a political thought. And they can't even correctly identify one of the biggest issues facing humanity at this point in time. You know, you say that, and I'm reminded of, yeah, like April, 2020. And I remember being very confused uh, as to why everybody was repeating the same lines, right? Like this could really be a problem. This is, you know, I don't know what to do. We may as well just kind of see, you know, we may, we may as well see, we may as like, this might be a problem. Maybe some of this, not even that some of this is justified, but that it might be dangerous enough that it's the right, that it's that like what they're suggesting happens to be the right thing. And I remember being, I, I do remember being con, kind of confused by that because for me, I was like, yeah, but we still can't have like, but this is this is what we're supposed to talk about and like be up against. I will say, though, for a lot of us in this space, I don't know that we were paying as close of attention to the medical industrial complex at that time. And it was it certainly is one of those industries that has been, as you point out, like has the regulatory capture hook, line and hook, line and sinker. Right. It's just as regulated as as any other industry is and just as in bed with with the government as any other industry is so yeah why would we why would we trust it my story we were just talking about nietzsche before we started i can remember one of the first times that i had like a realization about a shortcoming of of libertarianism as it existed when i you know when i came upon it and it's and i'm i'm, I'm i can't remember the whole bit but the, the whole line of nietzsche the whole paragraph the whole section but the ending was about the exception is great provided it never becomes the rule and it's and, and when you read it, it, it and you go through it and you know i'm kind of this is kind of coming back to me as we talk it was it was that you know it's very it's basically that it's very easy to to point out the flaws from the sideline right and and if you, you know, anybody who watches sports understands that you know because you have the guy who will talk about how you know, he could have done it better, even though these are athletes operating at the top of their feet, at the top of uh, like basically human achievement, physically speaking and mentally speaking in many cases. Um, but it's this. But I think I think that's I think that was part of it is libertarians in general were sitting on the sideline. And when it's a game, it's very comfortable to be sitting on the sideline. Right. You're basically safe. You get to watch all this crazy stuff happening and you are protected from criticism because as you know maybe uh, because you don't have any power there's no consequence to your actions there's really no consequence to your thought because it doesn't have it doesn't have the reach that it would if you were actually holding the levers of power i think what 2020 has shown us showed me at least and this is why you know this is this is kind of why a bunch of us have now gotten together and there's this whole business of the post libertarian moment which of course i wrote about and you know, we're kind of real. The thing for me that I keep coming back to is what good are all of these ideas 
if people don't have if you're not in a position of authority forget the word power for a second if you're not in a position of authority to implement it like like what what good what good are your ideas if you're not in a position to implement them if you don't have the money to spend to make them happen if you don't have the time to dedicate to it or the resources at your disposal because it's all well and good to have the best ideas and again if you're sitting on the sidelines and you have the best idea about how to how to run a football team it's like great but how do you actually make that happen that for me has kind of been the jumping off point into this uh, into this new space right and that's one of the reasons why i wanted to have you on and you know you you asked about like a theme or or an idea and i said new words so what i would like for us to do as best we're able is to maybe talk about talk about how we know things in, in a philosophical sense right like this consciousness idea and you know, I'm sure it's clear, but like, this is a very open thing. So if you ever have a question or whatever, don't feel, don't feel like, you know, I have to run the entire show. This is, uh, this is meant to be a back and forth. Was there anything you wanted to respond to before or maybe try and we try and delve into literally the idea of new words, which is like the worst thing to do for a podcast? No, I think we should jump right in. Okay, great. So, so I thought, I thought this might be a good springboard. There was a recent, I probably should have pulled it up. But um, there was a recent poll put out by, I believe, Caleb Brown. Is that his name on Twitter? Yeah, that's right. Um, and he was basically asking. It was it was an interesting question. Um, and I didn't answer it for reasons that we'll get into. But it was an interesting question. And I'm just pulling it up here because, you know, I usually have these things ready to go. But that it's um interesting question about what is or which is the most important branch of philosophy. And I want to make sure I get it right, but I know he had epistemology on there. I know he had um, ethics. on. Okay, it was epistemology, ethics, and metaphysics. And I think ethics ended up winning. And Yeah, I was shocked by that. Oh, I'm not at all, actually. But it's uh, but we can get into why. So maybe disappointed, not shocked. <laughs> yeah, uh, yeah. Just I, I, and I could see how you, I could see how one would be disappointed. So those are big. Those are three big words, right? So we have metaphysics. Not that I had high hopes. <laughs> you know we had epistemology metaphysics and um and uh why can't i think of the third one because the brain is a fickle thing um epistemology metaphysics and ethics the, the thing maybe that's why because i not that i find it the most boring but it's um epistemology has always been my interest so epistemology is the study of how we've come to know things or the study of truth the study of Basically, how like episteme is a w- ancient word for knowledge. Correct me where I go wrong, or like meaning and um, and so the 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 field of epistemology is what are the different ways in which we can structure the world in which in, in which we can like know a thing philosophically. Metaphysics is basically everything beyond the physical world, and 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 also I was at least taught that part of the reason why Aristotle called it the metaphysics was because he was like done writing the physics. So it's like, it's one of those things that he kind of named something that became a thing, not necessarily that he was trying to make a thing, which is interesting to think about how his, how history works. Truth as I like to say is like truth is like history. The editor allowed it. And then of course um, the third one being ethics. And I, I view at least, and there's, you know, a few different answers to this, but ethics is basically the norms, right? So ethic is, Ethic is about behavior. Ethic is about action. Is about action. There's a problem, I think, in and and tell me what you think of this. I think there's a problem with 
there's a problem with like separating these things out. Not that the question is a bad question to ask because of course people specialize in different things, but the, even the, even the poll itself was like, which branch of philosophy, right? And of course the branch implies a tree and the tree then implies that, you know, that, that they're all actually part of the same thing. Do you, do you want to speak on that? See, I think my issue wasn't so much that, uh, I think they are part of the same thing or the same process aside from ethics, I'd say. Mm -hmm. So I think that they are all involved in the same, well, I think they're all functions of consciousness, which reflect in part like the environment that consciousness is within. And owing, well, there's a few different reasons for that and manifestations, but the, the core of it is that our minds are made of physical material. And so they will represent, uh, they will represent the dimensions or the energies of the material world. And so metaphysics, epistemology, and logic, like those are all existent in the material world without consciousness, if that makes sense. All right. So and it might logic, not. Hang on. Hang on. Yeah, let's 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 play with this. All right. So logic, epistemology, and metaphysics, you're exist in the world without conscious thought yes yeah how in this way uh knowledge okay there's a difference between memory and knowledge and so in the material world two physical entities in contact have intimate knowledge of the other one uh, for example atoms when they bond they have knowledge of the other one and how their energies correspond but there's only one dimension of energy, so it seems simple to us. And then as they layer more and more atoms to molecules, to then living cells, to then beings, to then animals, and then consciousness, at each level you layer energies or dimensions of energy, and then you get new capabilities and new senses. And so hmm. one atom has a sense of its energy, and it attracts or repels depending on... Uh, Right, so it comes into contact with another atom and it has knowledge of it. And so it either repels it or attracts it. And so, so long as they're in contact, like there is an impression of knowledge. And then once it's gone, it's forgotten. And so it's an immediate impact. So it doesn't transfer through time, but time is a result of the, the layering dimensions of energy. So then once you get to consciousness, you have language, which is uh, or, or can represent or manifest as a manipulation of time. Because I can tell you something now and it does not have any objective impact in the world for five years, hmm. let's say. Whereas with atoms, like their, their particularities manifest immediately to one another. Okay. And so, so, so then to try to reiterate a little bit because that was a, that was a nice little that was a nice little heavy dump man coming out swinging um i thought that was going to be an interest i was thought that was going to be an easy one not necessarily to bat away but to try and refine so basically so you would just are so would it do you then think that there's a consciousness in atoms or like per se or well, I, is it that or is it that as or is it that the idea that um given that we're taught so like let's let's maybe let's maybe narrow ourselves just to the idea of knowledge as you kind of did when we were talking there right and like how do we how do we know something is the way that it is and 
you're saying that we you're almost saying that we know knowledge exists because atoms know what to attract and repel right right and they and they do it perfectly i suppose so okay you could say they don't have a choice or you could say they choose correctly so like like either way though their will is i i guess uh perfect for lack of a better term or it is in it is always in alignment with logos okay and so and, and then the question is like logic, does the yeah. energy order the matter or does the matter direct the energy and then it's like well you can't have one without the other and so that mm. brings you to the first cause the metaphysics well wouldn't that be physics no it can't be because well because because matter not oh, in motion isn't aren't... matter so one more time matter that isn't in motion isn't matter matter that isn't in motion isn't in matter really so is yeah, that and that's like, like if like you look at an atom as a vibration or a frequency right or, right right there's yeah. all always background radiation and so so long as there was matter and radiation it was always in motion and then mm -hmm. everything was always existent and so there had to be a beginning right so my question though is why are why isn't this just physics just just as a matter just and let me and let me maybe uh, expound uh, upon that a little bit because well, i guess the it, first cause had to be non-physical like it had to be outside of this dimension of reality yeah, so like the Aristotelian, I mean, Aristotle has the prime mover, right? Like that's right, that's right. Like, that's like one of the first philosophical like attempts at rationalizing an existence of like a god, um, at least. And not that not that a couple didn't happen before, but like Aristotle kind of rests his entire physics on it of that. So your point then is that there has to be, or rather, it is arguable. That even in, even under like the popular even under the popular understanding of physics with like the Big Bang, you still have a um, you you still have like a moment before things existed. So it's your so I guess and so in that way is what you mean when you say that the metaphysics actually maybe precedes the physics. Yes, yes, because the question is whose will and just let's just uh, just for the sake of argument or conversation, assume that these entities or that energy and mass has a will. And so the question is, what will created like that synergy of energy and mass to form matter? Mm -hmm. It's like what, what will was involved in that process? And it can't be either of those two. But energy and mass is the only thing that exists in our plane of being. Because matter, because we have to be moving in order for it to constitute anything. Right, you know, right. Yeah. It wouldn't be anything at all. Mm -hmm. Yeah, right, 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 right. Like, like well, not even, not even just like formless mass sitting somewhere. It'd just be literally nothing. Correct. Yeah, and you can't yeah. conceive of what is nothing. Like no. literally. So literally, what we're taught, what we view is what we view as static is actually dynamic and energy. So, you, and you, and your point was that energy and energy and mass are like the fundamental parts. Then. Of yeah, yeah, yeah. So okay. energy or radiation, okay. and then particulate mass. Mm -hmm. hmm. I like that. It's I'm happy. And that sets up and that and that sets up like the framework of causality of all yep. logic. And that's mm -hmm. the story. It's like that is the first like cause and effect. And that establishes narrative. It establishes yes. sensation, feeling, thinking, and intuition, which are all the characteristics of consciousness. Okay. Right. Yeah. Yeah. No. I, I now now I'm tracking with you. Um. It's it's a different it's a different path than I'm used to taking. Um, okay. Yeah. Yeah. But it's fun because like I kind of See, I, kind I suspected of, this. Yeah. When you yeah. when you ask what what school of thought I come from, I really don't. I I pull in 
everything from anywhere that interests me and I tie mm-hmm. it all together. So yeah, right, right, right. Yeah, it's um, no, it definitely works. So here, so but this is this is where this is where I think the tie-in starts, and 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 I can at least I can at least kind of volley back a little bit with that, which is the the concept of you're saying you're saying like all that, which is very. I'm gonna have to sit with whether or not I think it's metaphysical, but maybe that's just maybe. Oh, that's absolutely just me. up for debate. I am not uh, yeah. all these terms. Uh, yeah, I often catch myself speaking out of terms. So anytime you want to push back my terminology, actually, I, yeah. I really appreciate that. Yeah, so. and, I, and that's and that's kind of what I see. Part of this conversation is because there's there's so much, um, like this, like we can communicate very very well. We can communicate ideas in a certain area, but there's always like a little bit of dissonance, and I'm wondering where that dissonance comes in, whether it's whether it's me missing something or, or, you know, or, or just using the wrong kind of word. It's I, so I see your point of, and I'm just going to use again, like the placeholder term of prime mover, the idea that before existence, before the universe, we might say there had to have been something to create the universe. Um, Actually, and, and can, I, go ahead. Yeah, yeah, for sure. Okay, I'll, I'll throw this in here with, with the, the metaphysical. So that all depends on your perspective, right? Mm-hmm. I mean, for example, let's just imagine from the perspective of a subatomic particle, they have no sense of the atom. Okay, so right? I'm going to I'm, okay, I'm going to stop you because the problem is the problem is a perspective of the subatomic atom is I think the problem the thing I'm taking not exception to but looking to refine. Okay, so so if we imagine ourselves as that unit, I guess correct. Yeah, right. Yeah. right. So and so if you look at let's just if I say that the nature of reality is fractal, how would you respond to that? Uh, now that I understand what a fractal is, I would say that makes sense. Right. Okay. I think, um, yeah, like, and, and another way, like I haven't, I need to, I've been meaning to like, a, like fractal is the idea that things can work at multiple levels, or at least that's one thing. Or if you want to define fractal actually, cause I don't know that I have a sufficient one. I'd say that no matter, uh, whether you zoom out or zoom in, the picture looks the same. Gotcha. Okay. Yeah. One thing I like to like, not that it's the same, but there's a core, but it, but there is a, um, like harmony works too. Cause harmony are actually, harmony is actually oh, yeah. three different notes that have completely different frequencies that can still, they don't sound and they don't sound the same. So it's not precisely the same thing as looking at it, you know, the image, but the harmony works together. So there's, there is, um, we might say coherence between multiple levels with, within the frat, within the idea of, of the fractal. Go ahead, but go, okay, go ahead. Okay, so, so we're, we're thinking of ourselves as a subatomic particle, right? And then we have a notion of society, but we don't have that. We can't actually imagine like what that means, like to exist at that level. Sure. Yes. Mm-hmm. And so, what it's building towards, like we don't have a sense of. If that makes sense because we can't. Oh, we can't so we're the subatomic higher than our consciousness. Just, yeah, we're the subatomic particle in this exam- in this example in society might be not even yeah. not even not even an entire uh uh element, but maybe just a proton. Right. Right. Yeah. I, I would actually I actually completely agree with that. Um here's where I'm here's where I'm having some not uh, here's where I'm having some hang up in in um it, it, well here here's not this isn't where I'm having a hang up, but this is just this is this is the lens. So like you made, you made the point of like, if we could put ourselves in terms of a subatomic particle and and like, and then it's kind of like, well, we can't. Right. So it's not so, so there still is this there. And and cause, and your point as well earlier was that, um, metaphysics exist, metaphysics exist 
before, uh, basically before humans, right? They they precede humans. I actually, I'm gonna have to listen back to your explanation. You're like you're you're walking through it because I think you actually do give a very succinct case for that position. Here's where what I have generally said though is we perceive the world as humans, right? And so consciousness, we might say, is this thing that happens whereby we can perceive, we, we, we're actually in the, we're in the process of perceiving the world and like reflecting upon it almost because, because like other, because other animals have theory of mind. Some animals have like very sophisticated social relationships. Like all of these things had to exist before human beings could become homo sapiens, could become like this creature that is like uniquely adaptable to the to the earth and able to and, and able to put themselves, and this is this is this is the thing, and able to put themselves in the position of a subatomic particle, or if we want to be a little bit easier, maybe a dog. Right. Like we like um, and, and, you know, and children will like take on different uh, animals and stuff like that. The like mimic behavior that they see or we see and, and animals do this in the wild as well, especially against sophisticated animals with social things. But and I think to your point, you would maybe say that that. Yeah. And but that's exactly the idea is this is a fractal where we're starting at the subatomic or at the atomic level and we're working ourselves up to, let's say, just let's say like a prototypical human tribe. And that the same principles are at play, or am I misunderstanding your position? No, I think that's uh, that's exactly it. And I'd say almost see, and this might be a non sequitur to this mm-hmm. line of conversation, but it's it's the process of participating in something higher, like from a subatomic particle participating in an atom, and an atom participating in a molecule, and then so so far and so on. Like you get up to you know a, a body of dirt participating Mm -hmm. with a seed and then that seed participating in the sprouting of a plant and that plant participating in an ecosystem. And then it Mm -hmm. all leads to consciousness. And then there is something higher than consciousness, which we cannot perceive just like in the way that to a subatomic particle, there is something higher than it that it cannot perceive, but it has the experience or you can, if you were to zoom in on an electron and follow it without, without a, Without the rest of the structure in the picture, it would behave differently than an electron that is not in an atom. Yeah. Wait, okay, because I cut you off. So you say the electron, if it's not observed, behaves differently. No, not observed. If if we were to zoom in to where you could see only the electron but not the other parts, it... So it's not the observer. Yeah, it, it doesn't. Uh, yeah, it yeah. doesn't. Well, no, no. But it it looks. Di- it acts differently, and the movement is different than if you were to look at the entire atom itself. Uh, no, 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 no. What I'm saying is, an, okay. an electron behaves differently when it is structured in an atom, and so there is yeah. an experience there, just like with people. So if we are in a well balanced family, individuals behave differently than individuals outside of families. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. Where'd I start there? I lost my lost my thought. Where you're so so you you're kind of laying out this. So you're you're basically justifying logic, or not basically, but maybe that's part of what you're doing. Is you're Perhaps. laying you're you're demonstrating the order that exists, whether it wants to or not, in the universe. Yeah. Yeah. 
right? Because yeah. because it's not the case that it starts as a subatomic particle. And you made this point as well, so this isn't like disagreeing with you at all. So it's like so it's not the case that it's not the case that it starts with the subatomic particle and moves its way up into uh and moves its way up into the atom and moves its way up into cells or um I guess elements and the elements become maybe cells at some point when they become super contact co- um complex and dense. And then, you know, cells become, you know, blah, 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 human beings, skyscrapers, uh, Facebook, you know, doomed to humanity. Um, Like, so, so you're kind of, you're just kind of starting the story at at basically. Yeah. Participation in something higher. That's right. Yeah, the yeah. Partic- yeah. Right. Right. And that, and that was the idea is that each thing participates in something higher than itself, whether or not it knows that it's doing it. Right. And it does so because it is imbalanced by itself. It is imbalanced by itself. Tell me what is Yes, that like an electron and a proton. So electrons, they they repel energy and protons attract it. Mm-hmm. And so they are imbalanced until they come to a structure which they makes them more balanced and they balance all the other constituent parts. Equal in equilibrium, basically. Yeah, but not quite. At every level, okay. not quite. It's just mm-hmm. closer to it, but not quite. And that's why even fractals, like it's not a, it's not a circle, it's a spiral. Yeah. And so it's, it's like imperfect balance or it's mm-hmm. perfectly imbalanced, I should say, at every level to keep driving or forcing participation in something higher. Where did this, so, so, it, it's, so it's interesting to me because I kind of tend to start with the completed being, right? Like, I don't worry so much. I, I don't worry so much about the, like, not, not that I don't worry about the physics, but like atoms, subatomic particles have been, are of interest to me, but have never been at my particular, never, never been my particular, um, I've never, I've never looked that closely into them. Where did, see, they don't interest me at all. Okay. No, not at all. Actually, I was, uh, a few, shoot, I don't even know how long ago now, a few months ago, I went on a deep dive into Jungian analytical psychology. Okay. And so at the same time, uh, so I'm thinking about the mind and consciousness, four sides of the mind, the four different cognitive functions, each with a uh, introverted, introverted and extroverted expression. Mm-hmm. And I'm thinking about our minds as a, should I, I honestly have no clue how the thought even came to me. It might have been in uh, political circles talking about the atomistic man. And then it just kind of struck me. It's like, well, in a way, we are like our consciousness is a is a nucleus, and then our external being and the way that we communicate in the world, all of our particularities that can be known to other people, to other consciousness, those are an electron field. In the same way that <laughs> atoms interact with each other and come to know each other, yeah. but they have no memory of it, and so that's how we interact with the world as well. If that makes sense. And the yeah. particularities necessarily reflect what's uh, what's in the nucleus, what's in your, what you are focusing on of your psyche. Damn, that's good. <laughs> I'm, I'm, I'm taking, I'm taking this in. This is very good. Um, <clears throat> so yeah, what I, cause what I was leading up to before is like, I almost, and I think, and certainly based off this conversation is I, uh, I almost care about the whole, not that I care about the whole too much, but I tend to like, you're, you're like starting very, very small and working your way out. Right. And, 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 and what's interesting is the way that you incorporate hierarchy into that. 
right? That each thing is also above, you know, each, each thing builds upon itself. I mean, I say all the time and I, and I do believe it. That's what's so, that's what's so interesting about this is like, you know, our brains are designed to create the way I'll say it is that our brains are designed to create order. And I think what you're pointing out is that, is that no, the order was already there. It's not a matter of creation. Or, or rather that it was created before the order was created before it gets to your brain, given that this given that we can bring ourselves all the way down at this point with the level of technolo- technological advancement to the subatomic. Yeah. And it's almost like the witnessing or the consciousness. It, there's an interesting thing where it, where it has the ability to reverse that causality, mm-hmm. to impact right. the material that came to form it and to direct that energy consciously. Like mm-hmm. so, and that I suppose would be the, the that is the added dimension, or an additional dimension of energy into existence. And mm-hmm. so, my question is: when our consciousness, and something that well, I guess my main focus is when our conscious, how do I put this? What exactly do our consciousnesses participate in? If that mm-hmm. makes sense. Yeah. So it's yeah. Like, yeah. Did you did you want to finish that or? Uh, not really. I don't okay. know. I, I've got so, no answer. I don't so what know. Do our, what and, do and our that, consciousnesses? Well, I think okay. So let's let's take two steps back here because here's what's very interesting, and this goes back to what I said at the beginning. This goes back. This connects to the idea of skepticism, right? Because you have just laid out this very, again, it was very very very. I, I I'm just digesting it because we've never had this. Uh, linear of a conversation about it you know like as we've kind of alluded to it's just it's always been in like short spurts where these types of things have come out by the way this cut this also connects the idea of formulating things in terms of school right because you have to move from one state to another right if if thing if thing is if something is going to move beyond yourself right beyond this idea of conscious beyond the beyond just the the perception of one consciousness we might say for the sake of argument it has to be um, systematized in some form or fashion so that such that it can be such that it can be instructed to other people right and like we're just these creatures that have a particular knack for allowing that sort of cultural uh, what we might call cultural transmission but let's stay on consciousness so what's interesting about what's interesting about the, the schema that you lay out and i just mean that as a structure by which we can we can orient our thoughts um what's interesting about that in particular is how it does kind of show it it shows where where like skepticism comes in where skepticism has to come in later and this is and this is an interesting point about it and i think and to your and and and, and this is i've written about this before so this isn't like i'm like oh my gosh it's, it's this is what this is the idea of it right like skepticism as a school the the ability to question the ability to do this thing of that you were saying of consciousness where we can actually look at the same time inwards and down right because we're kind of looking in but we're also looking down because we're trying to see inside of ourselves but we're also moving as you kind of laid out this idea of what is the thing what is the thing that participates in us we might say right that's right. so like that's like that's like this unique thing that our consciousness can do um and so like but but it but it but that's that is the the that is the questioning that is the what is this thing and that is the skepticism which inadvertently goes against the natural goes against in a sense an ordering which is to say we should find things to make some kind of sense automatically and we shouldn't worry about it and that's that's like an an maybe that's it, what okay so tell me what you think do you think that's animalistic then 
right? So I have actually, no, let's go this way. So I have a, we, we've, uh, well, here, I might even be able, we might even be able to get some visual aids up in here. Hang on. <laughs> All right. So I've talked about my Trinitarian. It's been called Trinitarianism. I'm not really sure what I'd call it. The piece I wrote on it is called the Zenith of Enlightenment. And the idea behind the Zenith of Enlightenment is very simple, right? If we look at one one of the one of the one of the things that most enlightenment thinkers would say that they would or, or that they would like allude to or like believe, and certainly we see this em, 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 um, emblematic in Kant in particular, is we see the idea of uh, instinct being separate from reason, right? And so, effectively, as I've said a few times, if we look at instinct and reason. And we kind of separate them between these two things. We would, uh, if we if we if we remove the instinct and keep the reason, then the world is going to be a better place. And they were wrong, right? So I am. Uh, by the way, if you're listening to this, you might want to go over to YouTube uh, because I'm going to actually do a little diagram here for the purposes of this conversation. Interesting enough, this is basically what my whiteboard is, um, because. Uh, because like, I just like draw these schemas and guess the thing I was working out my schema of culture is guess what I was drawing a spiral. Uh, cause I'm trying Sounds to, perfect. I'm trying to map out how, um, I'm trying to map out how, uh, how culture actually operates. Right. And I'm kind of realizing it's something of a spiral similar to how, when we're talking about a school of thought, it's ac- geometrically speaking, it's a circle. And you know, the, the difference between geometry and algebra is that geometry operates according to the same rules every single time, which, and you know, that's clearly relevant. So we have up on the screen, uh, we have up on the screen, basically two little circles, right? We have our instinct, or maybe we'll do it like this. We have our instinct and we have our reason. And basically the enlightenment people kind of thought, well, if we could just remove instinct from the equation, right? Like this, this idea of our baser selves, like the, the primal human being a problem, if we could remove that from ourselves then things would be a better place. Well, clearly that's not how humans work, right? Because the 20th century was not a century of enlightenment. And, you know, it, it was a, it was a century of great technological advancement, but it was also one of the bloodiest centuries recorded in human history. And we developed some of the worst weapons as a result of it as well. Uh, you know, forget, forget the mind, forget, forget, like, you know, mass hypnosis, forget the idea of propaganda, like mass social control on a massive scale such that it's never been existed before. Anyway, I think my critique of the Enlightenment, as I've said numerous times, is that they left out one important drive of humanity and that drive being faith. So I'm just writing those up there for us to look at. And what was inter- so the idea of adding faith into the interplay is we're actually making this a far more complex system of human drive. So you, so this is kind of the schema. This is what I mean when I say like the, the like the atomistic. And I'm not, and I almost have issues saying atomistic because you're actually talking about real atoms, and we're not talking about like the atomism of the pre-Socratics, which is we worth- can spell it with a Y. <laughs> there you go. Eighteen. <laughs> uh, Adam, and then uh, mystic. Yeah, there you go. Um, oh, yeah, that's fun. But 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 that actually, ironically, that's probably closer to the ancient atomists. That's the thing, because like before Socrates, there were the atomists. Um, I just started rereading the pre-Socratic. It's a textbook I have on the pre-Socratics. Um, so what's interesting to just point out, and what I love about this, and why I love philosophy, and I love sharing this with people, is that like you know, 
yeah, people were talking about these kinds of things 2000 years ago. So yeah. like this, this like hyper novel state that we live in today, pretending that we have some great access to knowledge that the ancients didn't is, is a lie. And I think certainly the past year has shown how perhaps they never had access to it to begin with. But here's, here's the thing. So, and, 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 I'll, and I'll pause and you can tell me what you think. Cause you know, now we have, we don't just have a Venn diagram of two, we have a Venn diagram of three and you know, it might get a little, might get a little, uh, tough here for me to write this all in, but we have one, two, three, four, five, six. Am I missed? Did I do this wrong? I think there's seven or eight intersection points in a, in a three way to bend diagram. But then I also had the thought of, we can draw arrows in one circle, kind of like going in between. So not even how they intersect, right. Or correlate, but how, how does one relate to the other? And we can also then go, of course, the other way, right? And we can go reason to instinct. So we can go from faith to instinct. Long story short, you basically end up with almost 10 different, you get, you get 10 different variables of how you can actually in, interpret the world if you get to the end of this. And that's not exhaustive, but it is, but it is pretty well spelled out. I guess. And go ahead. The only thing I'd have to clear up here, because I'm having trouble wrap my mind around this only because it seems to me that reason is a modality of human instinct okay go ahead and tell me what you mean by that right so we reason by instinct i guess what i'd say and we only reason like it seems like our reason of today is more sophisticated than a thousand years ago only because we layered these abstractions over time Okay. Yeah, 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 I see that. Um, interesting. So, what I would have to say to that is, don't ruin my stuff. Uh, all right, all right. <laughs> no, no, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. No. Um. So I think so. So so maybe so maybe let me finish. Let me finish the idea because the point here, my my point was my point of the enlightenment was that they viewed these things as separate. Okay. Yeah. Right. Yes. And I don't yep. view these yep. things as separate Absolutely. from each other. Okay. These are forces that exist. Like many these, such cases. From the Enlightenment. Correct. Yeah, lines yeah, yeah, over yeah. things that they had no business drawn lines over. Yeah. yeah. But, you know, it's also one of those things. If you look at the course of human of human thought, we have a lot of those moments in history. You know what yes. I mean? And we're probably making the same ones today. So, no, you're, you're, I, I think you're correct, right? Like, reason, I think, like, I would view instinct as, instinct is, I think, well, to your, okay, so let's go back to what you said before. Because okay. logic, logic, logic coalesces all of this. Reason is reason is the is the problem solving that can then get turned into instinct. But what? But the but but the uh, the only way in which we can reason is if we have like what I would what I would refer to as a faith, and what that faith is is basically the belief that our reason is going to work, which comes back to my formulation of we imagine the world to be orderly, therefore it has order. Yes. And adding to that, I'd say faith is also, it, it works on two levels there, because it's also faith that your memory is correct. Yeah. Because even to have sense, like you have to compare two different senses of the same dimension. It's like, if I just feel one temperature my entire life, like I felt nothing at all, and I will have no reason, or I'll have no, I will have no understanding of temperature itself. It's like, I would have to... So, so I will have to experience a temperature and then remember it. And then the next time I encounter a different temperature and then I will have faith 
I will remember my earlier experience with that sense. And then mm -hmm. I will then be able to locate the two like in a, in a hierarchy of values by their yeah. discrepancy. Right. And reason is the means by which you could determine the different temperature. Faith is the drive that says, I can predict what temperature it's going to be, or like within within a certain variance, I can figure out what the temperature is going to be. The instinct is again, you know, maybe maybe it's an maybe it's an out maybe it's an outmoded term, right? That's why we're kind of having a conversation about new words. But for me, the instinct is more about those things which those things which have become so known. We might say, interesting enough, going back to how we started the conversation, things that have become so known that they don't have to be questioned in any way and they don't have to be analyzed in any way i.e you know the jordan peterson example of the human retina the, the human brain can recognize the re the imprint of a snake before the eye and before the eye consciously perceives it okay that, that so so like the base so he yeah. said he said in studies that they've done if you kind of have like the wiggly thing on the ground that your brain recognizes it before, like like some deeper part of you recognizes danger so, before you actually consciously perceive the concept of a snake. So, so we could almost call those necessary, necessary particularities of human life, in a way. Instinct. Yes. Yes. Yeah. So, so they are things that all people have because they were necessary, I suppose. And everything yes. else is just like a uh, is a unnecessary differentiation i guess until it isn't anymore so as you go through time like so consciousness is not a necessity of life no certainly not because no. most life isn't conscious right right mm -hmm. sentient perhaps complicated perhaps theory of mind perhaps but not conscious in the way not conscious in the way that humans are right not in all the dimensions that we are correct yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah. and this um so i just finished reading Heather Hine and Brett Weinstein's book, which I would, which I would recommend to anybody. Um, I find them both very interesting thinkers and you can, and the politics is the last chapter and you can skip that if you want because <laughs> they're political there. It's, it's, um, it's always interesting how people like, we all have our own blind spots, right? Like it's, it, it exists in all things, but it is kind of interesting how they're actually, they're not wrong. And they're so they're very similar to some of the stuff that will that that you and I might maybe talk about, but it is a little on the um, well, basically two Gen X's who grew up in who who grew up in academia, right? You never really had to question the politics of everything if everything generally worked out for you until it didn't, and you know now they're now they're two of like the bravest people on YouTube insofar as like calling out some of the vaccine hypocrisy goes. I mean, you know, they that that he that they're willing to take those stands is a testament, I think, to their character and also a testament to how people can not change, but grow and perhaps evolve, um, even if they still have, again, uh, blockers. Where was I going with this? Um, the book that they wrote. Yeah, it was about. Good. OK, <laughs> what was it about? It's it's so it's 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 about evolutionary biology. Okay. And so it's this idea of evolution. It's about this idea of it, it's giving basically the it's basically giving the meta narrative of evolution in a way that that I think coalesces far more so than any than that. If you're an atheist, you're not going to like some of the things that they say in there, basically. Or if, yeah. if you're a new atheist. Um, Have you heard about the color blue? The color blue? I've seen it a couple of times. Yeah. So around that's, like that's a bad around joke. Mediterranean. Yeah. around the mediterranean area like if you look at the like homer's odyssey mm -hmm. they call the sea red 
because they had no uh they couldn't see blue like they had okay. no they had no category for blue and so really? anthropologists have gone to this area i don't know exactly geographically where it is at and they would yep. show them like four squares red blue blue and blue and they'd say they're all red so they were Until, colorblind no because they told them which ones were blue and after uh -huh. enough times of telling them then they could then they could perceive blue but but the ancient but the ancient greeks knew what blue looked like they used yeah. it in painting but they had no that there was no word for it there was no recognition of it as a different color so we perceive it as okay so so let me so let me so this so the point they, i'm making they could hang on hang on just for as a quick aside because this is relevant right because we see all of their we see all of their ancient you know all the ancient statues of greece and you always think of it as this just beautiful white marble right mm -hmm. yeah no that's not how they existed that's not how they look turns out this is this is interesting scholarship over the last I think over the last ten years maybe just the twenty first century that they've started to do this where they actually um, have determined that that most of these statues were painted they were all painted very oh, wow. and and as it stands very gaudily so uh, every every ancient Greek you know compared to today we might they're not even compared to today but like just it wasn't it wasn't that they were like it wasn't uh, the height of it wasn't like the height of um oh gosh what's that period. Yeah, yeah, I'm trying to like just that, like the Greco-Roman uh, Rembrandt. Yes, yeah, yeah, like the Greco-Roman, like uh, Rembrandt, like a like you know Rembrandt. I think Rembrandt has like very high detail in his paintings. Point being, this whole there's there's a lot of scholarship right now around how do we recreate these things, and so now I'm wondering if now I'm wondering as I'm as I'm kind of telling the story is okay, is it actually blue or are we just putting blue on it because we would think that they would want it to be blue? Um. So what, what more can you tell me about this? Because I've never heard this before. Honestly, I, I really don't know what to make of it. I'm sure I've thought about it and came up with something, but it's uh, escaping my mind right now. But mm -hmm. so. So it wasn't that the sea yeah. actually looked different. It's that there was no. It's that there was no literally there was no word for the color. And therefore, everybody just chose another color. Well, it was all red. So blue and red were synonymous. Oh, okay. Got it. So it yeah. was Which is actually, it gets really weird too, because if you look at just like uh, biblical stories, like the Red water sea, but... just meant fluid. And so it gets really strange when you think about blood and living water. Yes. And actually, this is just coming to my mind right now. I don't know what to make of any of that. No, no, but, no. Uh, yeah. Okay. Yeah. Well, okay. But this is, so how do we, how do we combat this? Right. Or not even how do we combat this? How do we understand this? Well, that's why I have constructed as best I'm able, the paradox of identity. And why I talk about things in terms of identity, you know, I think, I think, and 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 the paradox of identity is this very simple idea whereby we recognize that for every, and there's been other formulations of this, of course, but that we recognize that for every word there are at least there. There's two answers to everything, and you know, you might say, what about two plus two? Well, you could answer the the question two plus two. You could say, I don't know. That that would be an answer to two plus two. It's not the right answer, but it is a answer. And so in that way, there are at least two answers to everything. Um, but but so what the paradox of identity shows us is how we can use words in different ways, right? Which is a very common thing. And we can use the same word to mean different things. Moreover, as it gets more complicated, we can have positive and negative correlations to the words. And you could have a lot of positive correlations to a single word, 
I could have a lot of negative correlations to the single word, or we could both have different positive correlations to the same word or the same idea or, and word, frankly, I'm using the wrong word. It's actually more of the, it's more, it's, it's more akin to an idea or a concept. And that's, and that's this thing of the paradox of identity. So, and, and I think given both of our backgrounds and the background of most of the audiences, the word libertarian is perfect for this, right? What is a libertarian? Is a libertarian, uh, is the libertarian, <laughs> I'm, I'm trying to be nice, um, is, is like, is, does the word libertarian mean Ron Paul or does the word libertarian mean, um, I'm trying to think of a name. Oh, uh, Nick Sarwak. What, what, what is, who is a libertarian? Right. Like we have this word, we have this, 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 this concept, we have this identity, almost this identity, this set of ideas, supposedly a school of thought is, is libertarian is a libertarian Robert Higgs or is a libertarian I'm trying to think of uh, Matt Walsh from reason that, so that's the paradox of identity and, and the, par- the paradox of identity, by the way, there's no resolution to it. I haven't figured it out. One thing they said in the book, uh, it, it's um, a hunter a hunter gatherer's uh, guide to what is it? Hunter gatherer's guide to the modern world or something. And basically, but like one thing they talk about in the books is like a and a, a paradox, an apparent paradox is like an X on a map, and you got to keep digging. And so I've basically been digging this hole for years and years, trying to see where the bottom is, and I haven't reached it yet. Or and, and or maybe maybe better said it's i've realized that it's not about reaching the bottom of the hole it's about who who's the one digging and who and you know who's telling you to dig well, and th- where go ahead oh i was just i think part of it could just be that when you have social structures or two or more things that trying trying to think of a way to phrase this when you have things of different characteristics that have to be held together in some form or fashion to to exist, to survive, just like people and just like, I'm going to go here again, subatomic particles, yep. like there is no right or, and see, is, this is going to sound morally uh, like some moral relativism. And I I can I can tell you it is absolutely not that, but it, it, it can seem like that in a bit like a, a dialectical frame, but it is a, it's a polar flow of energy. So there's one thing that all cognitive functions have in common. They are all either extroverted or introverted. And so if you think of groups that are, that consist of introverted people, the group that represents them or the group that contains them, uh, will always be extroverted because mm-hmm. it will have to be a balance there. And that group will then be contained by, or the relationship between the individual and the group will be mediated by repulsion because the group focuses outward and the component parts focus inward. And so that directional flow from that group is outward. And then if you have extroverts that form a group or that a group comes to contain, the group will be introverted or the the group focus will be introverted while the individuals are extroverted. And so then the mediation between the individual and the group is attraction. And so the two groups then that are formed are mediated by, like they attract, they attract each other, I suppose. So like one sends energy to the other and the other takes it and then sends it back. So tell me what you mean when you use the word energy in this context. Energy. Well, 
Okay, so if you look at an atom, it's just just straight electricity or radiation. And then okay. at every layer of being or at every level of being, you add a dimension of energy. So consciousness, you could say, is attention. But then you, there are different forms of attention mm -hmm. in consciousness. Okay. That is higher than merely an animalistic form. Because we can sense, feel, think, and intuit. Yep. Okay. Does this make sense at all? Uh, yeah, I'm 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 sitting with it. I think, and I'm, I'm also trying sure. to think of. I'm also trying to think of. I'm, I'm also trying to think of how to jump off, um, or or maybe or maybe double back. No, so go so go ahead and walk me through that one more time. The people listening, I'm sure, are going to get it. But you know, when you're doing the show, it can sometimes it's sometimes you sometimes need to go over it a couple times. Okay. Uh, so there there are two universal things or two universal traits of all cognitive functions right. of all consciousness. extroversion and introversion and right. so you can right. have you can have an extroverted individual looking out to an introverted group or maybe an introverted individual looking out to an extroverted group but they tend to operate in some kind of repulsion to each other right right mm -hmm. and so if you look at like the left to right so i think uh a way to illustrate so, this would be okay. gamergate yeah okay and let's go to gamergate but this is so this was something that i wanted to touch before which is that we have, um, and so this, and I think the extroversion and introversion works with this, right? Which is that it's, you know, these are, these are feed, would you say they're feedback effects? Because I also would say there also is a type of, I believe Aristotle talks about this, but there are some things that, and you, you touched upon this before as well, not cast, wow, I can't spell. Oh, that's perfect. Yeah. That's exactly where I was going with this because the, yeah. the way and this can, came to me, I was, it correlates ahead. to left and right or the way we would think of it today. Yes. And well, right. And I think we can, we can definitely get into what we, maybe you mean by that and what I mean by that. The point here is not that, is, has nothing to do with even correlation between the idea of extroversion and introversion or order and chaos, because that's what I wrote up on the screen that he said, yes, that's right. It's that these concepts in effect the same way in which light and dark operate these cons the same way in which different temperatures operate as far as our perception of the world which is informed by our consciousness these things don't exist separated from each other they can't that's impossible and in fact if and in fact to consider them separable is is like just the height of futility i would not even the height of futility but a bad path you don't want to go on because it's not going to get you anywhere because it's not holistic. These things are only understood in terms of their opposite, right? If you don't know what light looks like, or or rather in, in our cases as, as beings, um, what's the term? <sighs> not nocturnal, whatever. People who people who are alive during people who who are awake during the day. Uh, or you know DM it's some it's somewhere it's like yeah, it's on like the tip of my tongue. Uh Diana. Dianel is the word or something like that. D-I-A-N-N-E-L, maybe. Point being that without, without the light, there is no dark, right? If, you don't, if you've never seen darkness, then you don't actually know what light is. If you've never experienced a Midwest winter, you don't know what cold is. <laughs> like, you know, if you grew up in Florida and you've never been above the Mason, if you've never been above the Mason Dixon or like had a winter in the North, you don't know what, you don't actually know what cold is. You have a, here's the interesting thing though. 
you do always have a relative understanding of things, but you don't actually know it in an absolute sense. And these, but, but so this is, this is another important philosophical concept as well, which is that, um, uh, which is this thing of more, less. And I could put like five, four, three, two, one. And, but like those are, but numbers are like a, Numbers are a layer, layered abstraction on top of more and less. We might say, because it's a particular thing. We can under it's it's easier to teach somebody or a child or you know maybe an alien the idea uh, or somebody who doesn't speak the same language. If I hold up one finger and I hold up a second finger, you don't know if this is two or dos or de or de or un de. Um, eins fein. I don't speak German. Uh, do you know any other languages of saying two to prove the point? No, nope, yeah, no. Nope. And you, you don't can, even know that they're fingers either, or that they're yeah, not fingers. Correct. That they aren't yeah, yeah. two. That they aren't two fingers. That it, but that it represents. I, but if I do, if I hold up, because because this is an audio primary, so let me just say it this way: if I hold one thing up and I add a second thing to it, you know that that's more. You might call it something different, but more exists. But 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 like. But it is it is more, and and like I can only use that word because that's the word I know to describe the act itself. I'm thinking about that. Yeah. So I'm not sure how you get from one more apple to the concept of more, because then you might just think one more or or one more finger, without ever uh, having a concept of like add one. Does that make sense? Yeah, but okay, I'd say add one is too precise of a characterization. So so yeah. it might so so like so if I were to like if I were to like hold my palm out to you and then like kind of curl my fingers toward myself, right? Like you would understand that might mean come or more in a different depending on the context. Yeah. So this isn't even yep. working. Yep. But do you see but what do you know why this isn't working is because we are we're we're breaking down we're breaking down like the basic assumptions we have about things, which is what the field of epistemology attempts to do, right? Is break it down so that we can put it back together again in some form. Or, and I, and I suppose what the metaphysical does as well. I've never, I've never, I don't know if it's just a particular of my, my being, but like, like metaphysics. Well, it, if that, which is unknowable is like that, which is unknowable, isn't the best might be the most, interesting course of exploration but perhaps not the most practical no or even possible yes or even possible and so who's going to actually take that journey yeah like i would hold metaphysical truths are only like you can experience them but you can't like you can know them through experience but that's it like you're not gonna be able to put that into words it's not Mm going to be it's not understandable it's just like it is a state of well it's 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 a state of perfect love, I'd, I'd say. Uh-huh. Like of perfect, all-encompassing love or knowledge. Because it is where you are only taking what is what you are supposed to take from a given subject and giving what you are supposed to give. Like just like a subatomic particle exists in an atom, taking only the energy it needs and then sending the energy that it is supposed to send like perfectly so that the structure that gives it being and meaning and definition because without that structure, it has none of those things mm-hmm. uh, can continue to exist. 
And so it doesn't actually know what that means and it can't say it. And, and we can't say it either when we are doing those things, but like you can, you, you feel it like it's yeah. an experience and nothing yep. more. Well, yeah. I suppose not nothing more. That's the wrong, wrong phrasing. Right. It's, 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 it's something you can experience, but perhaps not put words to, which is, which is, you know, anathema to a philosopher, but you know, that's okay. It's, and, and like, <laughs> but I think, yeah. but, I, but that if you look at, so I don't look at philosophy as this static thing. I don't look at anything as static. Interesting that you were talking about that as far in terms of matter earlier, right? It's like, like, and that's, and this is why I've taken in, you know, in a more practical thing, like why I've taken r- high exception to um, very strict rationalism in, in that it's manifested in certain, we might say like anarchist libertarian circles vis-a-vis agorism um, and some other school and a couple other ways, a couple other things, uh, a couple other thinkers as well. But the reason being is that, you know, life is a river. It's not the, it's not the shore. Moreover, I think, and here's something else that I thought in relation to this is a world in which it takes 14, it takes four months for you to cross the ocean. Do ideas actually move slower in that world? And does a, this is a, actually, you know what? Hang on, let's let's hold on to that. I can come back to this because this is something I've been wanting to talk about. Union stuff, but I but I want to I want to touch upon my my case of more and less, right? So we okay. have two. So we have two. We have two figures here, A and B. And yes, for the sake of for the sake of clarity, given that we're having this high level of a conversation, of course, the fact that I'm even delineating A and B without defining what A and B mean is in and of itself like another problem with this. But in turn, kind of shows the the. Um, I think it demonstrates the paradox of identity because like we kind of have to like I have to I have to be able to convince you that A and B are different in order to convince you that something is more. But whatever. So I have three circles in chart A and I have five circles in chart B. In all cases, B is always more than A and A is always less than B. So I and so we can so now let's let's just remove a and b from the equation, right? Because I just pointed out it's kind of silly for me to use a letter that doesn't if we're trying to get to something deeper than even linguistics, right? Which is to say, if I say if I have this many circles and that many circles, one is more and one is less. And that will always be the case. Now, if we add another one, okay, now we have a different comparison to make. It's a proximate thing. It's a relational thing. The absolute idea is that this is what we what we determine as five. Just for succinctness, let's use the Roman, let's use Roman numerals as well. And then this is three. That's the absolute that's the absolute thing, in that we have this in, in that we discovered mathematics as a species. But I would argue that more and less are like relational and exist at a, at a what I would call a deeper level and, and deeper in the context of like an ocean. So the idea that you're going to keep diving deeper into the ocean to try and see what's there or a body of water as the case may be. Okay. See, I can almost see a case for the, the, the inverse as well. Okay. Hit, and that less and more it. are... So if you were to sense those two things, like just the quantity, you could feel less and more before you could give a name to the absolute. Yeah. Like like quantity, I suppose. Right. And maybe I misunderstood what you were saying. No, no, so, that, yeah, no. But I think, but I think that, no, that is what I was saying. You just okay. put it, you just said yep, it better. Yep, yeah. Yep. 
Yep. I misunderstood. So I'm glad clarification mm -hmm. there. So, yep. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's the base. Like the base of consciousness is sensation. Yeah. And, and so here's the thing. And here's the, sorry to cut you off, but here's the thing, right? This more and less participates in three and five participates in, you know, we can, we can increase this, you know, maybe we go like mathematics or something like that or addition, and we can actually move up a chain that way, the way that you kind of delineated from the subatomic oh, part. And then it, and then, it, and then it, and then it participates in uh intuition in, yeah. in imagining and imagining all of the things that could be three and all of the things mm -hmm. that could be in five. Yeah. And that is the abstraction so, that is mathematics. Yes. And math is the closest thing to truth that we have, right? As a skeptic, I don't know if truth is ever knowable, but mathematics is the closest thing I think we can come to it. And I would, you know, and to, to draw the point, and I'm sure you would agree, like modern modeling isn't per se mathematics, right? Like when you're making assumptions, it's not a mathematical equation the way I'm referring to it. And like, you okay. know, a sophisticated and, and like a sophisticated statistical See, I don't know, model. My knee jerk like, response is to throw all quantifications in the garbage, in the dumpster and leave them there. So I'm trying to, I'm trying to put my priors aside for a moment to think about that thought. Well, go ahead. Well, but go ahead and tell me what you would normally say to something like that, because maybe I, I don't think we're that far off from each other. So, what would be your clear? Yeah, I, I don't think that? it's wrong. Like, like uh, just the idea that mathematics is the closest thing we have to truth. So, like, I yeah. don't necessarily yeah. take issue with that claim. It's just mm -hmm. my general disposition to quantifications is just like only absolutely when necessary. I suppose, yeah. like as a, as a way of structuring society and the way we go about our lives. Correct. Uh, yeah, yeah. Notice I didn't yeah, use so, like, the word scientific. And so I, right? I actually, I think yeah. that's exactly right because we're not supposed to actually, I think the pursuit of truth itself is a, can be a force of entropy mm -hmm. for social structures. And so I think a lot of it is just focusing on experiencing truth and not pursuing conceptual truth. If that makes sense? Like, so it's... Give that to me again. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I think... Okay. Ahead. So it's not searching the the concrete conception of truth so much as the experience of truth hmm. and so i think there's a balance to be found there yeah 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 the con so you said the concrete it's about yeah well that that's so here okay so here so here's what i've said for a long time right and i use this a lot so like what i like to say is that i set aside the i set aside the idea of truth a long time ago Instead, I endeavor to find what is. And I think what is, you're going to love this, exists somewhere between expression and understanding. Oh, yeah. Yeah, absolutely. That's perfect. Yeah, I love that. Yeah. And that's, and, and so like, and basically, and the reason why we embark on this journey is because everybody claims to know the truth especially in our hyper scientific age but you know and i say especially but i have to i have to control myself because of course they because everybody has always thought they have a special claim to truth right like that's kind of i think part of being human um everybody's got to feel like they have like this one particular like good thing that they know that other people don't or maybe 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 i'm just maybe i'm betraying something about myself <laughs> yeah yeah i think i i really i really don't know i, I can't speak to that I think I, you might be right. I don't get the sense. Well, even I, I suppose you're right in a way. Like there's always some realm of thought or truth like that people yep. hold on to, either about themselves, about yeah. 
Well, given that I think we both have an interest in politics, let's use the very let's use a very easy one that people talk about. That, like most people think that the people in charge know what they're doing. Like like most or that or that or maybe better said, let's because that one can be taken apart a little bit. That the people in charge have their best interest at heart. Like the average person believes that, not because they, in part because they're told, but also because they need to. Look at what we are. Look at what we're seeing. So look at what we've seen since 2016. Look at what we've seen in the way people react to the world and the way people are being torn apart. In part, it's because they don't know what they're doing, and in part because it's because they don't have our best interest at heart. But people have assumed the average person, the mem, the you know, the member of the herd, right? Just the person who, the honest to God, and I don't like the like the good person who is just interested in earning a living, raising a family, contributing to the perpetuation of the species, right? It most people are blips are, are most people are grains of sand to, lost to the lost to the tide. And you know, like I just um I just recently went to visit my grandparents. I took uh, my aunt who hadn't been there in a while and she doesn't drive. And so she had kind of asked if I could take her or she didn't ask, I offered because she was talking about how she wanted to go. So I took her to see her parents, my grandparents. And um, it had just snowed and it had just snowed in, 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 in like the Chicago area. And they don't have like a headstone that comes out of the ground, right? It's just a flat one in the ground. And so we get that we get, I get to the area where I know the graves are. It's been probably 10 years since I've been. And it's, and you know, it's like, and so like now I got to find the headstone. Well, they're all covered by snow. So I, I eventually get to this point after I like, I'm literally like, I'm like in this weird way, like grave digging, right? Where I'm like looking for the headstones. You can kind of see a depression in, in the snow and you kind of, and so like, I'm like scraping it out with my boot, grab, you know, kind of trying to wipe it away, see what the name was. Well, it took me a while to find the, to find it. I'm, I'm sad to say I found other family members before I found them. Um, cause a number of us are buried there, but the, uh, but it was it was like I basically got to this point where I'm like, okay, looking up at looking at a headstone, finding the name, looking in the database of the cemetery, seeing what that location is, and then trying to like, you know, longitude and latitude my way to find to find the headstones I needed to. Part of the reason, by the way, that it took so long is that a groundskeeper drove over it in like an ATV or something like that, or a gator. And so what I thought was a path was actually just grave st- headstones that had been driven over. Oh wow. Um, so, you know, so like, so that was part of the reason of, of, of why, of why it took a little bit longer, but to the point is like, I just found all these people, all these names of like people who existed at one point in time and they lived for 60 and 70 years and they had children and they died and I never knew them. I don't know their story. You know, I might be able to glean a little, you know, it turns out some of them were mothers and fathers cause it said so on their headstone. I can remember being struck by the same thought when I went to Greece for the first time. It's my first time traveling internationally. And I'm like, and I've flown my whole life all over the United States. I moved around a lot. I have family all over, but I can remember it. It was a very distinct thought, you know, hours before I walked the same ground as Socrates, mind you. Um, But like, I remember being struck by the thought of this place has existed my whole life. And I have never been here. I have never interacted with these people. 
They don't know whether I exist. I have never even had an impact on anything that's happened in this place, right? Where I might be able to make some argument that I have had some kind of impact in my home country. That most people are that are like that. There is nothing wrong with that, right? And, and in fact, I you you have children, right? If memory serves, or yeah, yep, yep, yeah. Yeah. So I, I don't, um, but I have cousins of mine who I'm very close with who have children around the same age. And I was just talking to one recently and he listens. So yes, I'm talking about you. Um, but like he just, he was just talking about how his uh, almost one-year-old, who's my goddaughter, um, how his almost one-year-old now, she like, when she hears the front door unlock, she like comes ru- like scooting her way up because she's not quite walking yet. And just, you know, like da-da, da-da, da-da. And he said like, every time that happens and I'm sure, and maybe you're better at speaking of this as, as an actual father, but he's like every time that, that, uh, that that happens, it's like my heart just melts. And as I'm listening to him talk, I'm like, yeah, that just, honestly, that just sounds like the purest understanding of what joy is. And, and to think, and and this is, uh, this is tangenting a little bit, but it's, of course we can all connect it, but, and to think that, so much of our modern day is telling people not to have children or to wait or to not have too many of them. When I've seen, I've seen firsthand just the joy, like just the unbridled joy of watching, of watching this little thing, like become conscious, become human, right? Like, like actually start to understand the world. I don't know that it's, it's, um, that there's like that joy exists, whether you are, whether you are a famous celebrity who's remembered for something or whether you're just a headstone in a graveyard. That's oh yeah, that somebody comes and you know, and brushes off every now and again and puts some flowers up on. Yeah, yeah, and that's the experience. And there's no record of it. Like there's no conceptual, concrete record of that of that experience of that joy. But it's mm-hmm. it's it's very much real and experienced. And I think there is. Like, I I don't think we can really know the impact that our lives have, like while we're living them. Like we just we won't know. Yeah, and there's a way in which like even things that we don't think impact the world. I guess the way I'd say this, when we form groups as people, like there's something, and I understand I'm jumping away from the topic here that you just brought up, which I had some good Go thoughts ahead. on, but now I'm, now I'm uh, when we form groups of people, there, there, there's a way in which all of our interactions give off an experience and an action. So the way you put it was expression, and, and understanding and understanding and the way i formulated it in the past is that it's action and then experience and so i think they're very much the same like they're analogous ways of saying the same thing but yep. it's so so we act in the world and all of our actions are representative of the way that we structure our minds and mm-hmm. that's not the right word cuz we can't really structure our minds but the way that we well, orient I, you know it's funny you say we can't structure our minds psyches. we also can't form groups in some respects I think for the for, we're we're the only humans in many. This is so. Here's here's the interesting thing as it relates to identity, right? I think we're the first humans, really, who have ever been able to form their own groups. Oh yeah, yeah, absolutely. Right? Like, yeah, I mean, think about like the like the odds of like literally we don't we don't live geographically proximate. We're 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 closer than than some other people, right? But like we're separated by like what 300, 200 miles probably right now, give or yeah, take. Yeah. Um, and without the internet, I would have never have even probably known your name. Perhaps. Like, and and yeah. and and more to the point, even though we were listening to a lot of the same people, we didn't know each other's names until like a few months ago. Yeah. Yep. Right. So so like so like so to the point of 
where like, you know, so we might've just been like that one guy in a group of people, most of whom weren't interested in like a higher level thing, like a higher level understanding or anything like that. Right. Like I'm the guy I'm, I've always been the guy that people, all right, yo, LB, take it down a notch. Like you're up here. I need you to be down here. Like I need you to chill out. Yeah, I've yeah. told, um, like, dude, you're just using those words to sound smart. It doesn't even make sense. I, I oh got, my God. Yeah. That has been, that is one of my favorite. I used to get so upset. And now it's one of my favorite. I, I take it as yeah. the highest compliment in the world. I used to think, man, I really me. am dumb. And, but I'm like, shoot, I don't, I don't know how else to say this. I'm just trying to put it as simply <laughs> as possible. You know? I remember in a college class I took once, whereas like the girl said, you should try to use less big words. Oh no. I, I almost that exact formulation. I'm like, <sighs> And she wasn't wrong, right? But like she also wasn't right. <laughs> it was, <laughs> <laughs> it's um but to my point is like so like this weird accident of the world that we find ourselves now is that like we can actually interact in a way that you know we we wouldn't have. Because here's the other thing, right? Neither of us are like in academia, even though we're having what can be considered a very academic conversation right now in the best sense of that word, right? Not in the negative sense of that word that we might yeah. say, like this is a very highly philosophical conversation we're having at the moment. And yet neither of us are, neither of us, our paychecks are signed because we're philosophers. Although if you want binawake.com slash donate cash app been awake, uh, if you want to support the mission, but you know, but, but to the point is, like, you know, and yet, and yet we're able to talk. And so like, there's this new synthesis that can happen because of, because of it. Right. Whereas in the past, you might've only seen this pop up with one, maybe two people in a given tribe or dare I say group, which brings me back to the point of, you know, can we actually form groups as humans or are we actually born into groups? By the way, this traces to identity because it, ident because we have, there, our identity has both a deontological and an ontological sense. Deontological is, of course, like something that exists like a priori, so before experience. And then ontological is like, is the state of becoming or posteriori, like, you know, with experience or empiricism, empiricism of some kind. We're the, again, going back to the idea for right or wrong, some people would say wrong, some people would say right. We are the humans who have more of our identities than ever being made up from an ontolot, not even an ontological sense in that the, we are discovering them, but in the sense that basically, you know, they cut they cut your anchor and they told you don't worry about like don't worry the current is going to take you where you need to go. Even though anybody who knows anything about sailing knows that that's not the truth. The current will take you where it wants to go, not where you want to go. That's why you need sales. Yeah, it's a great point. It's a it's an added dimension of energy, I guess. That current, and then we're yeah, we were given no oars or rudders, nothing to uh, direct our where we're going through time. See, I would only I would mo I would um I would say that they took again. I would make the point that they took the oars and rudders away from you. Or, or rather, they're telling people don't. Or, or rather, they're I telling guess it's people like they when took you got, the, or, they or, took the bumper, the yeah. bumper rails off the lanes. Yeah, I was gonna say like, or it's they took, or they said when you when you like ran aground on the beach and you're like, oh, you know what? Maybe I should like, or you know, you ran aground a beach, you're in a river or something like that, and you're like, you know what? Maybe I should take one of these like trees and use that to like help me navigate the waters better. And they basically are telling you like, nope, don't don't do that. Just get back in the boat. Just get back in the boat. Don't think about the waterfall at the end of this river. And that's the, effectively, I think that's where our, where the elites have us at the moment. 
or have have the mass of have the mass herd of of humanity. Um, the, the the more and more I look into these things, especially as it relates to just like basics, basic stuff is like having a family, like creating that fractal, as it were. Um, and like and just the idea of isolation. Here's one for you because I see you oh, thinking yeah. too. Here's one for you. Uh, you know, I'm I'm not like super big or anything, but I'm a little on the heavier side, right? Like I just kind of I have like a gut, and I don't work out as much as I should. But I'm a pretty I'm a I'm fairly active. Um, but it's like when I'm with people, I don't eat a lot. Like you know what I mean? Like I can have like a normal meal and stuff like that. But when I'm by myself, and this is this is like just a personal thing I'm kind of sharing to you and the audience is like. But when I'm by myself, I have a tendency to binge and I kind of re and I like noticed that about myself of like, I'm just, I'm literally just filling a hole right now because I need to feel something because I'm isolated from people. I travel a lot. I'm in hotels kind of by myself all night, all the time. I'm not really a, I'm not a big drinker. I'm a little drinker and I don't like to drive drunk given how much I have to drive for work. So like, I don't, you know, I don't want to like and it takes a bit for me to get drunk. So, you know, so it's like just going to a yeah. bar is kind of like a, to the point of what we're saying of like, sometimes it's hard to interact with like a normal, with, with like the everyday, everyday person. Um, I don't go, I don't like get that stuff. So, but it's the point is that I noticed that about myself of like, you know, isolated. How much are we encouraged to be isolated these days? Forget, forget the family stuff. The, the whole like lockdown stuff. And the isolation, the isolation metric for that. Yeah, I think that's actually really interesting. So I think the market has has done a, or the market has played a very large role in creating that environment. Because the market, you like, really want to, you really want to have this out at an hour twenty five. Fine. What is the market, Josiah? <laughs> well, the Let's market answers the question: What would the world look like if? if people's desire for X thing was fulfilled. Okay. And so people, and then the market provides that thing that people want within, within physical, within whatever is uh, physical, physically possible. Like the market mm -hmm. provides that thing. Yeah. And so the market profits off of answering that question. So the more complicated that answer is, the less, the market profits. And so over time, as the market gets more and more power, they will work to make the questions more and more simple. Yeah, sure, 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 sure. So right. I think, I, I think, and, and I'm following you. So I think where, so I think, you know, how we define the term matters. And that's where I think part of, you know, that's where we might have differences here. Okay, yes. Yep. Yeah, because like for me, what I view, because I, I completely grant that what you're talking about is a function of, markets but i would say it's an it's an it's a market without um without limits or or it's a market that acts as or it's it's the belief that there are no limits makes creates a market in which you know you don't you don't focus on answering the complicated problems so let me so let's back up two seconds i would I, say even a market with limits i'd say the market gets rid of those limits in short order but I don't disagree no, yeah. with you at all. Yeah, so long so as those I, limits are in place, like you're all right. Right. I think, so I think again, I don't know that it's, it's, I think maybe we might say that. To, so to push, so to push, to find new areas on which to profit, the market pushes the limits. 
but the limits, but, and, but like, that's not, that's not exactly what I mean when I say that you need limits. Cause that, cause that's an, that's an individual, that's an individual thing. That's something that needs to be transmuted and effectively through things like, you know, through the monetary policy of the last hundred years, right? Like easy money, fractional reserve banking, we've basically been able to hack the market function to live off of tomorrow for the sake of today. And we're ba- and we're dealing with the consequences of that a hundred years later, right? Because because what the because let's let's use an evolutionary frame to try and understand what the market is. Like the market is people bringing things that they put together to see if other people want them, right? Like the like just the basic idea of a market, right? Like I have good A. Would would you like to buy good A, or would you like to trade for good B? And that's yeah, what the, it's almost that, like the polarity between extroversion and introversion. Sure. Yeah. Yeah. Because, because the market is, you know, in the Austrian sense, it's precisely right. It's just individuals interacting. It is a force that exists where that force goes, where that energy, where that energy goes, what that energy is put into is up for debate and interpretation. It ha- It is, as the Austrian school talks about, it is value free. There is nothing good or evil about the market, just like I would argue there is nothing good or evil about gravity. Now, that being said, gravity is really good because you don't fly into space, and it's really bad if you jump off of a building. We are the thing that makes, I would argue, we are the thing that makes something good or bad. And where the market is different from gravity is that the market is a human innovation, is like this really complicated societal thing that we've managed to accomplish. See, I don't think I disagree with any of that, but I am, I've got some questions about the nature of something that is value-free, like the possibility, like can something actually be value-free? Like, so the market is involved with our no, desires. I would so say. can it be, val- can it really be neutral with regards to human desires? Well, we have the neutron, don't we? We do, but without the limits of an atom, a neutron becomes a proton in a certain amount of time. And without the limits of, like, let's say a good, let's let's say a of a morally morality, structured uh, of a morally structured society, the market becomes something that rewards, like, I, I don't know, ever androgyny. more androgyny, uh, the market, yeah. exactly, yeah, and because and and so this and so here's the thing, evolutionarily speaking, right, instinctually speaking, like we are programmed to want things like you know, like salt and fat and sugar. Right. Like and and to the and to the point is a lot of and to the point is in in this hyper novel age and the hyper novelty, that hyper novelty term comes from the the evolution, the the Heather Hine and Brett Weinstein's book. Um, But like the hyper novelty of our age is that basically, again, it's a it's hacking. It's hacking our biological substrate. Right. By putting salt and sugar into everything because our bodies, our bodies in evolutionarily speaking, historically speaking, have craved that because we've always had so little. The funny thing is, we could do that and it would be all right as long as it wasn't uh, artificial. Sure. Or or industrially processed, like uh, vegetable oil. It comes from, the, the origins are, shoot, the 40s or the 30s, 50s, something, uh, sometime around there. It was cotton seed or cotton, cotton, cotton producers. They had all the cotton seeds left over mm-hmm. and they were like, I wonder if we can do something with these cotton seeds. I'm like, oh, yep, we can get cotton seed oil. 
Yeah. And that just uh, huh. snowballed outwards. And then they put it in all the food. And so our desire for fat is fulfilled in like a lot of cases by mm. a fat that is absolutely toxic to the human body. Damn. Ain't that the truth though? Cause I, it's, yeah. it's, 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 um, <laughs> these are the What's times you? we, yeah, go ahead. Oh, I, I guess that's what I was. So the market isn't exactly. So in that sense, the market isn't value freaks. It serves itself like at the expense of, so I guess yeah, it hacks. So it hacks the human desires and then fulfills see, would, them in whatever way I would again say that the people, ha people hack the human desire. The market oh, yeah, is just yeah. the mechanism of district. Like the market is just the mechanism. That's, that's again, the point that I make, right? It's not that. Okay. Yeah. It's, it's that, it's that it, it is the methodological individualism of Mises, not the, not the poorly constructed categorization of individualism v. collectivism. Right, okay. like the methodological yeah. individualism of human action of of Mises in the context of human action understands that would would put basically, like I said, the market as a force with individual actors within them. To the degree that the actors are rewarded or rewarded for bad behavior is an avenue worth exploring, right? And when we actually look down those, what do we find? We find regulatory capture. We find, um, you know, them. Them ha even when even when the dangers are observed, them paying off people in positions of authority so that they can maximize it. Basically, somebody deciding, getting it in their heads of that this is the right answer for things. So I write a law about it, and now a hundred years later, we all think that it's good to just eat bread all day. But are they not? Just ahead, I, I yeah. don't disagree with all those things about regulatory capture. But the people yeah. that regulate those industries or the lawmakers aren't they just selling a a complicated system of marketing? To those firms, sure, in part, but but the reg but the regulatory state in in that it exists uh, wasn't didn't in that it exists today is only an invention of the last century. Oh, absolutely, but not and not well, and separate from separate, well, not even quite because you can go back to the medieval yeah, yeah. ages, like you had markets and they could only be within one day's ride. Or okay, yeah, I was about to point out like the Byzantine Empire, which like basically fell like was crushed under the weight of its own bureaucracy in the end. That's a good point though, because back then like the regulations were so set in stone because you couldn't just change things easily. Like nobody would uh yeah, they were they were a lot less well, and here's another one. The the elites of today can ex have been able to I, here's here's the one thing that here's one way I'd put it. The elites of today have been able to extend their natural like what would be considered their natural reach and their natural um lifespan. And I don't mean lifespan in terms of their lives themselves, but in in terms of the ideas that animate them. Like again, through again through things like the fractional reserve banking and like basically leveraging the future for the sake of today. And you can you could you can even make like a more uh, eco case about this, right? And talk about it in terms of like of like mining operations and stuff like that. Oh yeah. Right. And, and, and to the and to the point, like and, and this is this is the Jordan Peterson point of turns out the best thing you can do to make a country get cleaner is to let it get dirty first. Because once you because once it gets really dirty and everybody starts to get a little bit richer because of that, they suddenly want things to be cleaner. Now, you know, yeah, what, you know what that makes me think of the thing you said earlier about when I said equilibrium and you say not quite. Oh yeah, yeah. Right. Yeah. So like, so so that's why I think the folly is like expecting to reach some kind of like perfect equilibrium and things. Yeah, not quite. Always, not quite. Yep. Yeah. 
And I think, and I think not quite is the cry of the skeptic as well. Cause it's like, eh, not quite. We can refine yeah. this idea. And I think that's, what's been fun uh, about this conversation. We've hit an hour 35. I could in- definitely keep going with this, but uh, I feel like we should leave it here for now. And we'll have to continue this conversation another time. Yeah. Thanks for having me on. LB. It was uh, fantastic. And I would yeah. absolutely uh, love to sit down again with you. Super fun. I love it. Why don't you tell everybody where they can find you? Oh, right now I'm just on Twitter at Sudoku Politburo. So follow me for some, yeah, all over the, all over the place takes. Yeah, no, love it. And, uh, yeah, I, I've, I've enjoyed having access to your mind. I've, I'm very happy that we've, that I've gotten to share that with my audience at been awake. And, uh, if you guys don't know already, if for whatever reason you're a fan of Josiah before, you know, me, that's cool. All good. No big deal. Uh, it's fine. Um, no. uh, I am the mind behind the Been Awake Project for Better Sense Making. You can find all of my work by going to beenawake.com and following me on all social media at the LB Moniz. If you like what you heard today, go to beenawake.com com to subscribe for future updates. My name is LB Muniz, and I am not one with the woke.